Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 164 of Fun with Cars for the Japanese Grand Prix in Suzuka, Japan. One of my favorites. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And of course, we have a little bit different tone for the show today uh, because we watched the, the race and had. Um, you know, had a, a rough start with the rain and all that, and then all these questions of would it even start early or start, you know, a, a day before and all that. Um, ended up having actually a good race, but then at the very, very end, uh, this very unfortunate crash for Jules Bianchi. Um, the good news, I'm sure people have been following this, and we'll have more up-to-date news than our podcast. But um, it was, of course, a very serious crash for Bianchi. It does seem to be a severe head injury, uh, but he's out of surgery, and at this point, signs are looking, you, you know, as, as I guess generally positive. It's hard to, to read too much in at this early stage and with very little information, but. I don't think it's anything uh, life-threatening at this point, but it is definitely a serious injury. So um, that's pretty much, I mean, the main thing that's just kind of weighing on our minds right now is uh, how, you know, how his recovery is going to be, how that's going to get better. And, uh, you know, just kind of looking at some of the, uh, some of the information that's coming out on that. And it, it's almost frustrating for me to do, but I can't help but relate it to what happened to me a year and a half ago. And for, Comparison purposes, there's good news in the sense that they said that he's out of surgery and that he is breathing on his own. If I remember correctly, not real time, but what I was told afterwards, but if I remember correctly, I was under assisted breathing for a while. Right. And which basically means a respirator. And I was also, uh, I definitely, I had a tracheotomy and had all sorts of fun tubes going all sorts of fun places. And my point is I made it. And here you are. Yeah. And, and, uh, so I am cautiously optimistic that, uh, Jules is, uh, you know, foundationally at a good starting point to recover. And, uh, you know, my hope is that this will be something that, the news starts becoming good soon and we can uh, hear you know hear some good news but we have to be we have to be optimistic and cautious and uh be very careful not to jump to any conclusions um you know it's these things are really dicey and when you when you're in these initial stages of these serious injuries look doctors are brilliant people I am quite fond of doctors, if I'm honest, but they are people and we, they don't know everything just like anybody else. So it just requires close monitoring and, um, and uh, they are keeping an eye very constantly on his condition and will know when things change. As uh, members of the media and just general fans, we have to be as respectful as it is possible to uh, Bianchi, the team, and Bianchi's family that, first and foremost, they need to know what's going on with their son, brother, boyfriend, whatever, um, more than the fans need to know. So my hope is that uh, his injuries aren't as serious as uh, mine or Michael's. I hope that he he can you know recover from this, and I hope that he can uh, one day uh, get in an F one car again. Uh, don't know anything yet. Yeah, it's I'm, very early. I'm very much that. jumping to conclusions <laughs> after I just warned not to. Um, but not but a that's my hope. But, we're, but yeah, that's we're, my hope. We're both, of course, just hopeful yeah. that um, you know he's getting great care, and uh, and, yeah. and basically. We're not worried if we don't get a news story out of it for another whatever couple hours, days, whatever. Um, the point is that there are people that are looking after him, and uh, that that's will exactly just, right. Hopefully, everything continues to to go well. And we know that Japan is definitely not the worst place to be for an accident like this. Although, in some kind of weird way, it is not the greatest in terms of the typhoon that is hitting the country right now, probably as we're recording. Um, but there's good news there, uh, which we can say. A little bit more categorically the typhoon at one point was upgraded to a super typhoon which is the equivalent of a category four or five hurricane 
um, sustained wind speeds of greater than 250 kilometers per hour. Mm -hmm. That has since been downgraded again to a standard typhoon, which sounds so odd to say. Right. Um, Just a normal everyday typhoon. Exactly. And, uh, you know, sustained winds, uh, I think they were showing maybe above 100 miles at the beginning, but not even, I think, 85 mile an hour sustained winds. So that's good news. The, the storm lost some energy, which means the chances of serious structural damage to um, Formula One equipment, but then more importantly, hospitals, and then much more importantly still, people right. it will reduce uh, quite a bit. But, I mean, God, just my tone of voice and the way of going, what a crazy weekend. I mean, my God. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I mean, so... Un- Again, we have sort of limited information, and we're not trying to speculate, but just, I guess, find hope where where we can, um, is there's a, a quick article, a blog post from um, Gary Hartstein, former F1 doc, who's been uh, really interesting uh, as a trained medical professional and, and Formula One doctor specifically um, to take what is coming out of the media and put it in some context of actual medical training and understanding of how, how these injuries and recoveries work. Um, and he basically uh, agrees with what you're just saying is the fact that he's breathing on his own shows that his doctors, the people looking after him um, must be really positive about his situation because there's so many reasons, so many risk factors that would make him make them want to keep him on a breathing apparatus and keep that kind of thing under control. So yeah. if they, as he puts it, if they have the luxury of letting him breathe on his own, that that's actually really encouraging. So without trying to speculate too much um, beyond that, it's just sort of like, hopefully, um, you know, we get some good news in the coming uh, you know days and, and so on. But uh, you know, that's, Definitely, yeah, it puts a cloud over uh, over the race result for sure, and it well, was a weird combination of obviously weather, um, but because of the rain, the the light. I mean, it was getting very dark near the end of the race there, and definitely. that has to have been a factor um, as visibility is poor anyway with spray. But then the lights are you know well, it's gray uh, that, right. and then the spray, and right. then the very low light. Yeah, right. it's compounding. And uh, for if you happen to be uh, completely unaware of what's going on um, towards a you know beyond three quarters of the way through the race. Um, Adrian Sutil, I believe it was turn one, turn two, one of those, I th- well. But it was turn seven. Was turn seven, the okay, thank you. It was yeah. the end of the S's. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Adrian Sutil had an off um, exiting turn seven. He was racing with Jules Bianchi. They were racing each other. And uh, he'd spun off. Um, Minor damage with the barrier. I don't think anything was wrong with the tub of his car. And uh, the crane, there was a local yellow was thrown. Mm -hmm. The crane had come out along with workers to start collecting Adrian Sutil's car. One lap later, Jules Bianchi had a spin in the same place in a very similar way. But unlike Adrian Sutil, uh, Jules Bianchi hit the crane as it's understood. And obviously that has very different implications, and that is all I know. And I don't believe there's been any further reports on exactly what part of the car hit the crane right. and uh, exactly all that. But it, um, the most critical element right now that we're aware of is you know, a serious head injury. The head is kind of important. And uh, so that is the objective facts of what have happened. What, that is what has caused um, uh, our somber tone and uh, what's dominating our thoughts right now. Right. Um, but uh, other than that, I mean, I think there is <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. We haven't even mentioned. Uh, uh, there's you know, just the, so many things. So the, 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 between um, the circumstances of today's race, and obviously we do have uh, another race in just a week's time. I mean, assuming everybody makes it to Russia and gets set up in time, which uh, I think with uh, the way the weather and stuff panned out, the uh, most of the teams and personnel should be able to uh, uh, you know get out get out to Russia and get set up in time for that race. Um, we will have a show uh, in just a week's time. So. Uh, Obviously, we know that uh, Vettel has announced he's leaving Red Bull at the end of this year. And so far, officially, I think that's all that's been announced. Of course, there's lots of speculation. Well, um, that not in the, much more of an aside, but Daniel Kvyat was officially announced yes, as his replacement. That's true. Yep. So Red Bull next year will be Daniel Ricciardo as now the lead driver. And I think he showed today uh, why he may deserve that uh, status. Um, and Daniel Kvyat moving up from STR. But other than that, um, it's not confirmed. It's, of course, widely speculated that Vettel will end up at Ferrari, but not confirmed yet, um, and that that would be... Well, the report was that Vettel told Christian Horner that his intention is to sign with Ferrari. Right, although... So that's the intention, which is one thing, and it seems... Horner's interview was... uh, And he's given many, I'm sure, over the course of the weekend. 
it's a bit it's a bit weird. It's a bit like he just got dumped, uh, you know, because he's he's had this fifteen year. Um, <laughs> oh, well, it I is. like that. I mean, you saw his tone of voice. It was a little. He's like, well, you know, if the driver really wants to go somewhere else, then I don't want to. Sort of like I hope for the best for him, but. Uh, um, but it was he a, asked me to give him some space, so I gave him some space. But now he's saying I don't spend enough time, and he just has to go. Well, a I don't bit. understand. So, <laughs> so I go from smothering him to not paying any attention. No, so it was you know he says you know what he kept. Uh, the interview clips that they kept showing for for our coverage anyway was um, to the effect of, okay, once a driver, you know, really his heart's not in his workplace, I think as he put it, then there's really no sense in keeping him. And I'm not actually sure if Vettel had a contract through 2015 at Red Bull or not. I think he did, but I don't he, know if he was on I, year to year. I, as I understood, um, he did. But so they're sort of like, okay, well, so we've broken this contract, but as we've always talked about, the contracts don't mean in a whole modern lot, times it's know? essentially meaningless there's so much right. lawyer jargon built into Especially them that the both of them drivers. have out somehow right, right exactly and uh, i have to say as a quick little aside um that was it, a portion of that interview was held by will buxton mm-hmm. who is the the nbc nbc sports network um pit reporter mm-hmm. and it was i have to say a little bit disappointing a little bit uh, un will buxton like he's usually quite good on camera and very even keeled and uh, understanding of the of the interviewee's point of view, and he was a little bit of your typical uh, reporter asking the quote unquote tough questions and just a little bit being a little short and snide. And I was yeah. thrilled with it. And that may be why you get this answer. But my sense is, you know, of course, uh, Vettel and Horner um, have have gone way back, and like we say, it's sort of this 15-year career up through at Red Bull driver program and STR and all these things uh, for Vettel. And as as Christian Horner was uh, quick to point out, you know, they've won eight world championships together with you know four drivers yeah. and four constructors championships and all that. And not that he's saying Vettel is throwing all that away. You know, that's sort of like, well, we can always look back at that. That was really good. Um, but uh, you imagine behind the scenes, of course, they would have a really close relationship and would be able to share anything. And, and my sense is that Vettel may have said, "Okay, I'm, I, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, I, you know, between you and me, I want to go to Ferrari, uh, but you know, nothing's announced there yet, so don't go blabbing that everywhere." And then Horner, feeling a little bit like <laughs> a little bit miffed, is like, "Well, they told me he wanted to go to Ferrari. I'm just saying. It's I'm like, just saying. It's like he always told me yeah. he always liked your sister better, but I, I don't know. You know, Ferrari hasn't said a word. Uh, what I will say is that." Uh, Christian Horner and Vettel were the two folks, well, two of many in an entourage, but the two uh, main folks that came into the road and track offices a year ago for an interview. Yeah. They were in Ann Arbor, and uh, they both uh, quite adored our uh, borrowed uh, McLaren chassis that was there at the time, the, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, 1990 um, uh, MP4-6. But anyway, uh, what's it, MP4-4? Anyway, I'm getting way ahead. Of, I'm way off track here. Point is, uh, they did seem very friendly and very close during that interview. They were not holding hands or anything like that. So, at an absolute minimum, they're not into the PDA. But, um, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's been it's been a fascinating relationship with lots of success, and uh, that's what's a little bit strange about it. Um, but I, it's here's what's weird to me, or fascinating or overwhelming, almost you could say, about Japan going into Japan Thursday. Japan is always an exciting race. Suzuka is one of my favorite circuits, and I just quite love the place, right? Lots of cool stuff. The S's, 130R, and on and on. Mm-hmm. Then, Friday hits, and the big news is, hey, it's sunny here right now, but there is a typhoon coming, and we do not know when and how and where and what's going to happen. This is going to be a strange weekend. And a lot of, and a lot of conversations started on Friday about... Do we change the dates of the race? How do we adjust this? What's the best way to move forward? Then Saturday comes, and no, no, no. The big news is uh, Vettel's announcement and uh, all this stuff going on. So then Japan became even that much more interesting because of the silly season nonsense that was going on. Then Sunday hits, and the way the race plays out becomes even more interesting, and that's when we found out that the uh, FII did try to move the race up, make it earlier in the day, and the race promoters said no to that. And so that became a little bit of controversy. But then, of course, um, the accident with Bianchi, it just, this whole weekend has just been so much just coming out, you know, drinking through a fire hose, to use the cliche, the appropriate one, I would say. Yeah, and, and so I think as we, I think, started this portion of the conversation, you know, officially... 
Um, and so we can stick to that for now because there's enough actual news um, that we don't need to go into speculation. Um, uh, that officially we know Vettel will not be at Red Bull. We know that Daniel Kvyat will. We don't know where Alonso is going to be officially yet. I think. Well, and that was a big part of the speculation. You right. know, Ferrari has not said a word officially. Alonso has not said a word officially. McLaren, but it is assumed yeah. that Alonso will be the Ferrari driver to leave, even though both of them have a contract for 2015. Right. So, you know, McLaren has, uh, Ron Dennis has said, oh, you know, we, we don't have anybody signed up for 2015 right now. Like, I don't even want to say one guy or another. Like, obviously, there's several drivers, and, and there's talk of, uh, will Alonso go to McLaren Honda? How's that going to work? Uh, will Button still be there next year, or will Button have proved himself today? You know, there's so much to go over that. Um, and then, of course, once you go on from there, then it's sort of this domino effect of other drivers that are looking for positions. You know, who's who's going to be at you know Lotus next year, and how's how's the rest of the uh, uh, you know the rest of the grid going to shake out? It's you know, there's a lot to to decide there. So, I think let's give that a week um, and see yes. what else becomes announced and so on. But uh, and then as far as the, the news and insight, I'm actually curious what a lot of our fans have to say. Um, I've already seen a few uh, posts on Facebook on our page and so on about um, you know drivers that they hate and teams that they love and who's who's going <laughs> where. So um, we do ask, I guess, in the in the coming week here uh, between now and our next show from Russia, um, if you've got thoughts or opinions, I'm sure folks out there do. Um, please visit funwithcars.com and uh, you can comment on the uh, on the show right there. You can also visit our Facebook and Twitter feeds and uh, let us know what you think. And we'll have a lot to talk about, I think, and feedback next week on. Uh, what what we know so far as of today Sunday, and then also what, as news and stories come out throughout the week, uh, we'll see uh, see how that all shakes out. That said, um, qualifying we had um, we did have Nico qualifying. Nico Rosberg um, owning it basically shockingly good and of course lap. that was dry in quality. This was not a weird wet qualifying session. That was that was a nice dry session. And uh, Hamilton, as he said, he just wasn't feeling it. It was just like. Not not quite there, and it was a pretty big delta. You know, it's funny you say that because I heard Hamilton saying he wasn't feeling it, and I think that was Hamilton saying he was shocked at how fast Rosberg was. I don't think Hamilton thought his lap was bad until he heard what Rosberg's lap was. Rosberg was just hooked up, switched on, blah, 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 but he was brilliant. I mean, that was the perfect lap. He was aggressive in the exact right places. And uh, had just enough margin that he kept the car under him. There were no wiggles. It wasn't a, it wasn't a dirty lap. It was neat and tidy and spot on. And I just phew, lots of credit because not only did he take pole position from his teammate, but he took it decisively. Right. And there was no shenanigans, no intra-team nonsense going on. Rosberg was like, "Dude, I got this." Right, and they were surprised, both Mercedes drivers were surprised how much more pace they had than their rivals. They sort of expected Red Bull to be pretty close and Williams to be pretty close. And it sounds like even after practice, they were like, well, we, we did better than we thought. So I think after all that, seeing there was a, a, you know, a good step from the Mercedes to the rest of the field. But I think seeing that, Hamilton really would have loved to have been on top. But exactly what he said in the interview is, well, tomorrow is when the points happen. and. Yeah. That's absolutely correct. Uh, no points are given for a pole position, and uh, all the points matter are during the race. And Hamilton was able to come back and win during the race. I mean, he was able to uh, to make it work. And in, as we say, sort of a, a bizarre, sort of a slow start to the race with safety car and then the red flag and then getting going again and the racing. But what we had in the middle there um, was a really quite a thrilling race uh, with, with plenty of battles. I mean, we had a lot of cars really close to each other and... Uh, just some good passes. I mean, Ricardo specifically looking really good and whatever, but ended up with Hamilton on top and, uh, you know, was able to extend his lead only a a little bit more, but well, I mean, a solid chunk more. He was three tens ahead and three points ahead. Now he's 10. So I think we can say, uh, with more certainly certainty than anything else, the championship is over. Now there is no (laughs) chance. Uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton is world champion. Um, Unless it's Ricardo. <laughs> or Ricardo, right. It, it, it is, it was, with nothing else going around, going on around the weekend, it was a thrilling race, great racing. And it has to be said, it was very lucky they got as much racing in as they did, considering the weather conditions. It actually wasn't raining for the majority of the race. It rained at the beginning and very heavily so. So the track, and it was obviously, of course, hazy and low light and all that. So wasn't a place that would quickly dry. But most of the time, there was not new rain falling. And it was this, oh, it's too bad to rain, too, too bad to start the race, too bad to start the race. But the second they did start the race, 
most of the team, most of the drivers switched to enters right away. Right. So at that, in my mind, gave an indication that they were a little overly cautious in that sense. But it was it was great race, racing to watch. It was great to see 130R not flat. I mean, they were still going 160 plus miles an hour through 130R in the rain. That that's the thing. That, that is cool. Definitely if nothing else. You know, yeah. <laughs> and you know, they're still you know cooking at. At times, 100 miles an hour through the S's in the rain. Uh, Ricardo had some brilliant outside passes through the uh, through the S's, and just yeah, it was a great race to watch. Um, uh, Jensen Button made a fantastic strategy call to get on inters earlier than anybody else, and proved quite quick. He's Japan is one of his better tracks, and he knows it. And he ended up finishing fifth. Good on him for that. Um, Danny Ricardo uh, and Red Bull, you know, both Vettel and Ricardo. They qualified, what was it, 8th and ninth? I think it was, but still managed... ninth and 10th or something. Yeah, it was... The, uh, no, not because reckon it was 10th. Yeah, yeah, it's they they were lower in Q3, and I, I'm, it, here it is, ninth and 6th on oh. the grid. and uh, But they ended up finishing 3rd uh, and 4th. Good on them for that. And, uh, and uh, you know, the way tire strategy worked out generally was very fascinating to watch because the inters were slowly but surely wearing out it seemed right. and uh, so there was a lot going on but then there was also the added puzzle piece of will it rain again if so when and how hard and how are things going to go yeah and we heard various radio calls about oh no rain expected for the rest of the race although we're not very sure about that and then we said oh it's probably going to rain in about 10 minutes and then we heard oh no it's going to be okay and of course it did end up raining and it's i guess it's it's not fair to look back at the whole picture uh, from now, but it does seem like they could have started the race sooner than they did. Now, not so many laps of safety car um, to at the beginning, uh, because yeah, like you say, the fact that immediately people could at least go on the inters and be about the same pace, and then after a little while get up to a faster pace, but that it was safe on the inters. We didn't see anybody really go crazy um, at the very beginning, um, but that at the end it did start to rain again, and uh, that ended up being where uh, we had you know many more people you know running wide, sl- slides off, spins, and then of course Bianchi's crash. Um, was at the very end that, you know, with a, I guess, a, a careful eye to, um, you know, at the beginning of the race, at least everyone has fresh tires. I mean, yes, their cars are heavy and full of fuel, but at the end of the race, I mean, that as, as one of the factors of Bianchi's crashes, his tires were, you know, then intermediates that were 17 laps old. And, uh, we know those tires are, are quite soft to, uh, help, uh, move, move water and everything out of the way. Right. And, they require lower temperatures to get up to peak softness, you could say. Right. And yeah, easily wear. So yeah, they, they can wear out pretty quickly and that's, that's a factor. So you know, I think a lot of people would have been um, would have been bummed if if without a crash like that happening, um, if they if they just red flagged the race saying, hey, we don't think it's safe anymore, guys, and it's getting dark. I think there would have been conspiracy theories about, oh, this is this is you know Rosberg's payback for Hamilton because Hamilton run the race right. and Rosberg didn't have his chance, yeah. and this is because of steering wheel and the right. whole, like. You know, <laughs> you, you can't win any anyway. Here, no, but no, um, there will so, be fervor over something. Right. So I think it was the right call though. Once the race was red flagged. And then, you know, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, are they going to restart it? Because it seems like it's right. pretty dark and, you know, the mechanics and and, have to be ready because in you case know, they do. typhoon. <laughs> right, and everything else. So then the fact that they said pretty quickly, you know, at least they didn't say, oh, let's wait 20 minutes and then see. You know, once the race was, was red flagged, they said, okay, it would have been six more laps or seven more laps. All right, you know what? This is done. Let's call it. I think that was the right thing to do once they reached that point. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was definitely, um, you know, that that only just that one race at the end or the increased rain at the end uh, that really opened things back up and, uh, and, and mess with the strategy. But that's where Jensen uh, really got hosed apparently by the safety car picking him up incorrectly. Um, yes. Which seems weird. It seems like that, that that's still a problem. It seems like there should be, um, you know, I don't know if it's just the fact that his car is silver and the, and the, uh, and all the spray and everything else, the safety car guy said, Oh, that's probably Mercedes. So let's, let's stay behind him. Um, or, or, you know, how exactly that happened. But, um, you know, because Button was, I think he may have even led for a while during a rotation, but he was, you know, running third solidly behind the uh, the Mercedes, but ahead of the rest of the field because of his pit strategy. And then I well, think just... Uh, hey, of, come on. I'm interrupting only to say pit strategy, but he was also quite quick. Yes. Once the he pit was able happened. to make it work. That's yes. true. Yes. So it was a combination of strategy and brilliant driving. Um, Thank you, sir. That, Thank you. That's uh, all any, I any Button That's fan could be proud of. Yes. There yes. you go. And would be completely correct and th- whatever. Um <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but then yeah, the, I think the the safety car period uh, near the end did uh, sort of screw him up to uh, um, you know because of the way it, it sort of cycled him around to the back and then you know ended up ended up fifth, which is a solid result. But I think um, you wonder if this has to do with 
the silly season stuff now that his seat is under pretty direct threat from probably Fernando Alonso, but who knows um, if this is him like picking it up a little bit to say, hold on guys, I really deserve this. Or if this is just how he would have done anyway. I mean, um, this is, this is his kind of race. I mean, he, his very first win was mixed conditions. He, he did really well. That brilliant win he had against Vettel, was it 2012 um, in Montreal? Yep. That was uh, mixed, condi- mixed conditions where yeah. he won a lot. That, it's kind of his bag. And, uh, but I'm, I'm very instantly sympathetic to the safety car because uh, let's not forget that what we saw on screen, and we didn't yet know why exactly, um, we saw both the safety car and the medical car peel off right away, and the medical car instantly sped off, which means... Um, the person, the driver that got more information than anybody else was the safety car driver trying, hearing all kinds of things of like, this is what's going on. This is where it is. Just right. pick up the drivers, slow them down. We need to get this halted. Right. So I I will forgive the uh, safety car for this uh, faux pas. Right. It was ultimately a faux pas, but I, I'm, not, I'm not willing to go any farther than that. Sure. And there's also been talk. I mean, other series have different ways of doing this, especially in endurance racing, rather than having one safety car and then the drivers you know they have to back off from full speed but if you're not right behind the safety car and you're kind of making your way around to the track to get to the safety car you can still be going pretty fast i mean you could definitely uh there's there's a lot of uh you know drivers have some say over what uh you know what speed they want to do and so on um and the other way of doing it is like as they call like a code 60 or something where it's like okay there is basically a speed limit for this sector or for this corner or just some section of the track to say you have to go this speed so it takes some of that driver judgment of it it says hey if you don't know what's going on uh you know if you just get a code 60 it's almost like a pit lane speed limit or you could just set on your car and say okay you know go this speed everyone around you has to go the same speed so no one's going to worry about who's who slowed down too much or, or what's going on um you know there is this has reignited that conversation of is, is it the right time to do that uh because on some tracks of course in, in conditions like this uh you know especially back markers who aren't directly behind the safety car they can basically have a pretty fast lap to catch around to the bet to the back of the you know the train of cars behind the safety car um and that you know could sort of be a factor in terms of who's going quickly to uh to try to catch that up and uh, and how these things go so we'll have to see if you know if, if that conversation uh, starts to come together but as people are looking at safety and uh ways of improving things and, and whatever i mean the safety car seems like one of these weird um you know the, the way that it happens where it's you know how, where you are on track when the safety car happens to pull out of the pits you know the fact that that could matter and could really affect your race um and uh you know like even when we've seen uh you know, pits. I remember like Michael Schumacher, you know, where he pulled, he pulled into the pits of right another safety car and came out and was still in the lead. And some people were like, well, how, how did that happen? That, yeah. you know, it's like just sometimes the timing of the safety cars and the way things happen um, give us results that are just a little bit non-standard and uh, don't seem like that's the most sort of, with all the technology we have to know exactly where cars were on track before an incident happened, how, what the gaps were and all that to then sort of have, well, it kind of depends where this, where you happen to be on track when this car comes out and maybe you get hosed or maybe you win if you get to go around the safety car and then do a pretty fast lap against, you know, around what may be a, an accident scene or something. Well, um, this, I don't know. It seems like worth considering. I just did some math. Oh. And uh, the fastest lap of the race wasn't much more than a minute 51. And this was under rainy conditions. Okay. The racetrack is over five kilometers. It's 5.8 kilometers long, uh, just over 3.6 miles long. Average speed around the racetrack in these crazy wet typhoon coming conditions was still fastest lap was still 117 miles an hour. Wow. Average lap speed. Wow. Okay. Even if you're going nine seconds a lap slower than that, nine seconds a lap slower than that. So two-minute laps even, that's an average speed of 108 miles an hour. And that's not maximum. That is average. That is average. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just what I'm trying to do is just emphasize the point you're making. It's, you're still hustling. It's still quite impressive. And it's impressive to me to do the calculation and be like, wow, that is still quite good. And don't forget, this is a hundred and closer to 140-mile-an-hour average speed track when it is completely dry. Yeah. <laughs> in so, fact, ooh, you you say something, you say something smart, and in that time, I'll do math of what uh, uh, Nico Rosberg's dry lap average speed was. Okay. So, um, in all, it, it's I, I guess I said we wouldn't talk about it a bit more, but in all the uh, the silly season stuff, uh, another thing that another possibility here is that I think I don't, I don't know if it's actually officially confirmed, but it is pretty pretty well understood that Fernando Alonso will be leaving Ferrari. We don't know where. 
It's um, likely, oh, yeah. very likely. But we don't actually know for sure that he'll be in Formula One next year. Um, there's <laughs> um, there's now a story that just popped up from uh, Jalopnik actually, um, wondering if if he's going to go to go cycling next year. You know, he just had a big investment in the cycling team, a bicycle, as in bicycling, yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, he sort of had these business partnerships, and he said, he had this oh big announcement, very big announcement. This was like a couple months ago, and the next day it was that he was like involved with the cycling team, and everyone in Formula One was like. That was a big announcement, really? Like, we thought right. it was going to be something exciting. I but, bought a bike. But if he's like, you know what, I've had my run. He has, I think, said in the past that he wants to finish his career at Ferrari. And if he figures, okay, I've, if anything, he has proven... But that, I mean, I'm sorry to interject right there, but that is that is very much a PR thing You were to supposed say. to be doing math. Come I on. did math. Oh, Math's okay. done. Um, anyway, the uh, so, you know... In all this, you know, in all the announcements and all the hubbub, it's easy to sort of, you know, presume this or that or think, you know, but I guess it, it, it actually wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world if Alonso says, you know what, I wish I had more championships, that's true, but it's going to be a, a hard job, um, a multi-year process, you would think, to go to like McLaren Honda with, which, you know, a brand new powertrain supplier that hasn't been in Formula One for several years and wasn't terribly successful when they were uh, most recently, um, to turn that around into a championship winning affair. And it's like, you know, if that's maybe more of an investment that he wants to do rather than sort of peter around in a mid-pack team or really struggle to sort of, you know, do better than a car should should do. If he says, you know what, I've, I've really shown myself that I've left on a really high note, you know, really outperforming what this Ferrari should have been capable of, outperformed Kimi Raikkonen and his teammates handily. He says, you know what, drop the mic, I'm done. <laughs> See ya, I'm going to go ride my bike. Who knows? You know, that's... Uh... I I mean, I, I think that's unlikely. I think Alonso's the kind of guy that if he were... Deciding to retire, I think he'd make a little bit more hay about it to uh, promote and do the proper PR thing because he is uh, more than averagely astute at that. Uh, so I think that's very unlikely. I think he still feels that he deserves more world championships under his belt other than merely two. And uh, I think he's tempted to go jump to a team that when they were last united – McLaren and Honda were very, very strong. We uh, we know that. So Honda, when they owned their own team full stop, they were not as good. But when they were an engine supplier most recently, um, not including their own car, that was with McLaren, and they were very good. But that was a whole other era, though, and, you know, well, things yeah. were different. Eras come and go, but, you know, whatevs. <laughs> um, and uh, to circle back around, a Nico Rosberg's lap time was a 132.5-ish. Am I right about that? Um we can check the thing. I think not too much different. But let's say it was for now, um, as you do your research research. Um, that would meant an average speed of 140.5 miles an hour. Wow. Average speed. Quite good. That's Yeah, and that's part of what we like. I mean, we always said Suzuka is one of sort of the classic tracks. It's been around in F1 since basically forever. Um, and... But part of it is fast-flowing nature. that You've got the S's, um, which is, is, is technical, but not like you know, Singapore technical or yeah. sort of, you know, Valencia where it's just like corner and corner, corner, like it's a nice flowing section. Um, but a lot of really high speed corners though. I mean, obviously 130 R is one of our favorites, but I guess the Dunlop curve, leaving the exit, uh, leaving the S's and then the right-hander before you go into the bridge for the crossover, there's like a lot of good, you know, so it's not just you go 140 on a straight, straight away and then way hit the brakes to a hairpin and then another straight away and then hairpin. It's, you know, it's not like that. It's a nice sort of flowing uh, high-speed track. And that's just right. part of what's great about it. Lots and of, there's a corner that looks like a spoon. Right. right. There, I mean, lots of greater than 100 mile, 100, greater than 100 mile an hour corners. And um, in addition to that, one thing that's unique and very cool about Suzuka is it crosses itself. It is both clockwise and counterclockwise. And I think you can say pretty, that's the only... Uh, track on the calendar that can say that yes so, the only figure of eight track as there uh as there is so yeah all very very cool stuff we didn't actually i guess mention um but alonzo uh had a pretty terrible race today as in behind the safety car his it, car well, his race was drier than most it was actually um but uh, so you have to say it's not a terrible i wouldn't say completely you have well, to take it in context <laughs> <laughs> especially if he's like you know not happy with ferrari and negotiations and all that and then, what is it, lap two or three or something behind the safety car, the engine just gives up, shuts off, and he coasts to a stop yes. and just has to get out of the car. And, and that's it. Day done. That, and like, that actually circles back to another thing that I found uh, kind of remarkable considering everything. Um, there was Alonzo's failure, not accident, just straight failure, water in the system perhaps. And then just within one lap of each other at the exact same place, um, Adrian Sutil and Jules Bianchi, no other incidents that's right. kind of amazing. Yeah, I was I was going to say that because 
from that one failure at the very beginning, which wasn't performance related, it was just, you know, it wasn't like two cars coming together or anything like that. It was just like the engine died. Um, then, yeah, we had no other attrition until what ended up being the second to last lap of the race um, when it uh, when it all fell apart. So it was, um, I was, that was remarkable. I mean, you, you would imagine there would be something, you know, somebody spinning and sliding into somebody or, uh, you know, wing gang damage and what pieces, whatever. It's like it was amazingly, um, amazingly clean, except when it really went wrong um, at the very end. So um, that was, uh, you know, an interesting uh, statistic. And then, and that's also, this is the kind of race where um, every once in a while something amazing can happen for a winner that's not, you know, one of the normal guys or just the way the timing is and, and the way the, you know, crashes or whatever. But, uh, you know, that a lower le- lower level team, like maybe even a Sauber could get some points or whatever, uh, didn't end up happening that way. But, um, you know, it's sometimes, you know, this is, this is the kind of time when, uh, you know, it can really get interesting. And uh, in this case, the attrition was, was such that it was just, yeah, Alonso um, on lap two, officially, for the electronics failure. And then, uh, of course, uh, Adrian Sutil and uh, Jules Bianchi at the very end. And uh, and that was it. But otherwise, even Kamui Kobayashi uh, was running at the end. Of course, the only Japanese driver right now. Um, and uh, with he was a, a lap down and, uh, you know, had uh, but was still going at the end of the race, though, and, uh, you know, in the catering. Yeah, so uh, overall, crazy weekend. Uh, we're very excited to um, just see after what we've witnessed, just have a bunch of good news come pouring in. But uh, at this point, I think we've said enough about this event for the moment, and it's time to hear what you guys had to say. All right, since the last episode, we've got a couple of emails, including one from Tim Plath um, from Speedway, Indiana. Um, of course, near Indi- Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, first of all, congratulations to uh, me and my wife, Jim. Uh, so thank you for uh, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, my wife is doing great, and our little tiny daughter is getting bigger all the time, and she's six weeks old already, which is crazy to me. Well, um, that's not a size, though. That's not a size, but, you know, it's a, it's a length. It's a duration of existence. And uh, anyway, she's... So she's, she's getting bigger and... Right. Well, she's like eight pounds. I mean, she's still like uh, the size of a large burrito. But anyway. Well, think that's of, becoming very large burrito, a, sir. Oh, you know what sounds amazing? An eight-pound burrito. <laughs> we are now talking about, you know, two tortillas, double the meat, and uh, lots of guac, I'm cheese, very sour cream. Just That is not in Tim's email. Anyway, he says... <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, I like the direction the conversation was going in Singapore about reference to tires. He thinks it might be interesting if they gave the teams more flexibility in tire strategy. What if you made two? If you made two plus stops, the current rules would apply. But if you're making looking to make an endurance run, you'd be able to do one stop using harder compounds on both stints. I'm not sure how often this would really come into play, but might provide some additional strategy calls from the team and skill on display from drivers stretching out tires as long as possible, which is kind of an interesting tactic. It would depend uh, how much harder. When, you know how much harder the hard tires are than the softs to see. You know if it would just be so slow, um, as he says. You know most times it wouldn't work out, but every once in a while, especially that's the kind of thing that someone could do if you qualify, you know, qualify 11th or something, and you really just kind of want to um, take a gamble and you think, okay, we think based on the weather and everything, we can just take a gamble and run it. And I guess if that really isn't working out, you could always um, pit and go to softs and then do a hard softs hard. Yeah. Know, kind of. So it's it's an interesting uh, strategy, but I think with all the, the permutations right now, at least the rules are. Simple in a way that you have to use each tire unless it's wet is a simple enough thing. If you add more complications to the rules, then it does get up, become a harder challenge to explain. It's like you have to use both tires unless you use both of the hard tires, in which case it's okay. But you know, right, and and, you, and that's just it. I think uh, the more the more simple the rules are, the more ingenious the rules are, and that's that's the otherwise clever idea with strategy. But I'm, honestly, my feeling is that. Uh, Pirelli has been forced into a too conservative position with tires. I feel, in my own personal opinion, the hardest tire should be softer and go softer from there so that the goal being you want uh, the team to to make their own decision to make at least two pit stops. And if one team is exceptionally easy on tires, maybe that's a strategy they can run on their own, but I would rather see it where uh, the tires themselves just wear out faster and they have to make decisions that way. Right. I mean, pit stops at this point, now that there's no refueling, there was an un- unintended consequence to that. They're way more exciting. You know, it's we're talking about under three seconds being coming close to standard here, and there's an art form to it. 
A lot of people have a lot of complicated tasks to do. It's very regimented and exact. So that means a very small mistake can add what amounts to serious time to the race. So I think it's exciting. And the more pit stops these guys are making, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Right. And it's a good strategy uh, you know, call to make as well. Like we talked about if, if they had one set of tires to make, then why would you have to do pit stops or whatever? Um, but yeah, that's definitely you know, between a one-stop, two-stop, three-stop, um, or in today's race, I think even some five- or six-stop races that people yes. had with tire changes and yes. the red flag and everything. But uh, it, it's, you know, I think probably pretty good how it is, but, uh, you know, we're curious what uh, what other folks have to say about that as well. Um, Tim continues in his email. Did you guys catch the Beijing E-Prix, as in Formula E? And uh, I did watch that. I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, I feel like the 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 biggest, you know, issue um, in my mind of, of the race is not even the sounds of the cars and whatever. I mean, I think that's, that's interesting. The street circuit was a little bit wonky, um, but it's part of the point of the of Formula E is like we want to be right in city centers because if a bunch of people are driving in their, their normal, you know, polluting road cars out to our event and parking and messing up the environment, that kind of undoes part of the point of what we're trying to do. So they want to have it right in city centers where people can take public transit, which I think is a bit clever. Uh, but the fact that the drivers, it's the pit stop is not to change tires or to change batteries or to charge up the batteries or whatever. You get out of the car you started the race in, you get into a second car, and you drive out. And part of the, if part of the point of, the, of an electric series is to show electric cars can be cool, and I think it does that because these are cool cars, and the, you know, they, they look neat, and they sound kind of cool in their own electric way and so on. But if part of it is to get away from this whole, you know, the biggest stigma of electric cars is range anxiety and is, you know, do I have enough charge to do that, and is battery technology getting better? The fact that they change cars halfway through the race really kind of goes against that marketing principle. So um, I'm... You know, I'm going to keep watching Formula E and kind of see where it goes and, uh, you know, how things shake out. Um, but it was a, a pretty interesting race, including a very, you know, what I guess could have been a serious crash. I mean, it's not injuries, but it was a, uh, you know, a, a meaningful crash in terms of the race result. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll be curious to see how that comes together um, in, in the next, you know, coming races for Formula E. But uh, um, it is coming that's kind of interesting to, uh, you know, just to follow. And I think they're going to have to just keep getting better uh, with better battery technology, better motor technology, and uh, hopefully then we end up with, uh, you know, you don't have to do the, the, what I think is a bit silly, switching of cars halfway through the race, uh, which is sort of, a, I think, one of the first uh, times we've seen that in a uh, motorsport event, at least in quite some time, that that would happen. Yeah. Um, also, then, just to finish out the email, um, Tim Plath apparently is an engineering student. Um, and uh, Oh, well done, sir. Yes, is uh, into motorsports engineering specifically. Uh-huh. Um, so that's why he's looking at all these alternative racing and just uh, racing series and different ways of doing it um and also asks about if we if we are aware of formula sae which presumably he's taking part in um formula sae is something that i was actually a part in myself for yeah. two weeks yeah <laughs> and uh, uh it was in, in no part uh, the fault of formula sae it's a very cool program you basically as students with a small budget you build a formula car and the cars actually can become quite capable it's quite neat right and it's, it's did i say neat i meant to say keen i want to use cool words oh there you go um <laughs> yeah so i you know as some people may recall my day job is working with uh, data logging equipment and some you know data analysis and that kind of thing so we work with a lot not a, i guess not work with a lot but let me get... inter- interrupt and say that my day job is buying that data logging equipment from jim yes i appreciate <laughs> that very much um but uh, and you actually get to drive you know these cars with equipment in them. But so Formula SAE teams come to us all the time because a lot of these cars get very sophisticated with the the sensors they put on them, the data logging that they want to do. Because part of the point of the of the whole process is for all these students to understand what goes into motorsport engineering, and a big part of that is logging data and analyzing that data and understanding it and so on. Yes. So some of these guys are building guys and girls. Uh, these teams are building very complicated systems, and some of them include our VBox data logging stuff. So uh, I'm I'm quite aware of it and. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting to see how you know how far the envelope is being pushed by groups of students, and now of course there's teams doing uh, like fuel cell stuff and electric cars and hybrids and yeah. diesels and all kinds of well, interesting yeah, things. And there's different competitions entirely for solar car and things like this. Right. But this is more specifically motorsports, and if you do well in Formula SAE, it can absolutely lead to um, you know engine champ car engineer or what have you. I don't know exactly um, how many ties to Formula One there are, but I bet there's more than none, and. It is a fascinating experience, and you learn a lot. It, you know, in the automotive engineering world generally, which I've been in, a big part of being an engineer is doing exactly what Formula SAE does. You know, you're just trying to build and adapt a car using data and sensors and, uh, you know, testing. But the big key difference between a uh, 
job for the consumers and Formula SAE for racing is when you're in Formula SAE, you're an engineer making engineering decisions with other engineers. Um, when you're in the consumer market, you have to think about cost and general market. And the cheaper you can make the product so that manufacturers buy it and things like that. That's And the manufacturers buy it so that they can sell it to con- customers cheaper. That's all that kind of fun stuff gets thrown in it. So um, Formula SAE is a much more pure version of engineering, and that is uh, to be lauded. It's, yeah, before you have the... You know, I guess the optimism beat out of you with uh, the brutal stick of reality of <laughs> the way that engineering actually happens in the real world. The brutal stick of But good reality. luck, Tim, yes. and thank you for the email. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, uh, we had another email from uh, Dave Stevens yes. uh, who pointed us to the auction that is being posted by an organization called the Sheriff's Office in England, um, auctioning off a bunch of stuff seized from Caterham's office um, in uh, in England and um, it's kind of interesting. So it's this company is called the Sheriff's Office, um, which is actually, as we can tell, they're they're a, what are they called uh, high court enforcement officers. Um, and basically, this is a you know the you know repossession guys. You know, like like if you ever hit this, those great shows we have here, you know, Repo Men and kind of like Dog the Bounty Hunter and whatever. It's like hey, they, they went in and seized a bunch of cars and equipment. Um, and there's like an F1 simulator. There's a, a complete race car, um, part car parts, um, you know, steering wheels, F1 wheels with tires, a bunch of things that were going to be going to auction. Um, basically saying, you know, there's there's some there's a judgment against these guys, and part of re, you know recovering money for that judgment is to sell off all these parts. So um, wow, that's, that's just wow. The auction is now on hold pending the outcome of a further court hearing. So you wonder if this is how much of this is posturing by both sides on a legal thing to say, hey, we have the ability to sell off all your stuff and you can't keep running your team, um, and then how much of this is really going back and forth. But I was thinking maybe we should start like a Kickstarter campaign or something to get people to you know if everybody chips in you know ten bucks and we get enough people on. Board. Could we could we buy a catering and go race it? You oh, know? wow! You uh, want the whole thing? I mean, it's I mean, well, simulator. It's like yeah, you know, we all we can get a PlayStation and have a seat and do the fun stuff there. But I mean, you know, if we have a catering F1 test car from 2013, um, keep in mind that's naturally aspirated as well, so that would make good sounds. And yes, it's not the fastest of Formula One cars, but in terms of you know cars that you could take to a racetrack and drive around and have you know fun with cars. That would be I a good one. Get a little attention so, here and there. You know, we'll see if the, if the auction is back on. Uh, we may have to uh, have to set something up and you know see exactly what's going to go for at auction and uh, you know have it have a catering and uh, go drive it because that would be a lot of fun. I am pro that idea. And in fact, um, you know, we at one point had uh, uh, aspirations of starting our own race team, which faltered. One of the rules we were limited by was five hundred dollars spending. So. If we can get this F1 test car for under $500... Ooh, that would be a heck of a way to go. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, if anyone wants to buy a car suitable for 24 hours of lemons, get in touch because uh, we know of one for sale. We do. Either way, uh, this does, the point is um, Caterham is in serious, serious trouble uh, with the... You know, they got sold to a new group of investors, but there's a lot of problems in, in, uh, with the way people were fired from the old, from the old uh, bosses and... Apparently, the way you know the equipment is being managed and so on. So uh, there was a bit of a question over whether Caterham would even be there in Japan to race, and they were, and they did. Um, but um, I'd be curious to see if they have all the spares and the team and you know money to pay the people and all right, that. If right. they're even going to be at Russia and you know do finish out the rest of the season. So we're just going to have to keep an eye on that. But uh, so far, understandably, you know Caterham isn't saying a whole lot about it because you know they probably can't or don't want to. Um, you know, if it's really bad, they don't really want to admit that. But um, hopefully something comes together for them and they can stay in, in Formula 1. But uh, it is looking a little bit uh, dicey for them at the moment. But if their car goes for sale and uh, somebody buys it and does something interesting with it, that's kind of cool anyway. Oh, man. And we also got some lovely Facebook messages. First from Ron Kasky, who uh, got in touch with us right after the last uh, Grand Prix. Good morning, guys. Please tell me that Jim is getting some type of compensation from... Re- oh, no. Sorry. That's old. Ha! I'm old. Oh, that was from the Mercedes exhaust. Yeah, that was that, Mercedes I, exhaust all these times a year. Hey, I, desi- guys, I designed the prototype for that. Yeah. Uh, we, well done, sir, by the way. Uh, my DVR failed to record the race. Arg! So your recap will be crucial this week. Looking forward to it. Two things I'd like your thoughts on. One, Formula E. I watched the Beijing race. The cars looked great. The racing was, well, it was all right. I wasn't too crazy about the circuit. The Prost-induced accident on the last corner was pretty brutal. I'm going to watch this series just to see how it pans out and would like your take. Step one. Step two. Which I think we you know, talked about just a moment ago. And did. We're curious to see how that continues to go. Yeah, and I, it, it's something that I myself need to start paying closer attention to. I've kind of only given it little nuanced things. So I can understand I need... how cavemen wouldn't find that as exciting, but uh, it's uh, uh, exactly uh, yeah. right. 
Two, it is silly season. I want some speculation about the future of Haas F1 and which drivers you think they will hire so as to market themselves to a greater American audience. Button and Rossi? Question mark. Please not Danica. Please not Danica. Three, also, congrats, Jim, on a new arrival. Read the book on becoming baby-wise, quote-unquote. Here's to the next generation of F1 fans. My kids have been watching since birth! Well, exclamation thank, point. Thank you for that, Ron, for the uh, congratulations and so on. And yes, Olive has been watching uh, Formula 1 and sports cars, a lot of endurance racing as well, uh, since birth. And uh, that's she's, she's you know, getting pretty wise to the rules and the ins and outs and tire strategy and so on. Uh, she's actually kind of an Audi fan. I don't really know where that came from. I'm, huh. I'm kind of a Toyota guy for the oh, LMP cars. That's interesting. But, yeah, well, it's interesting. Know, yeah, I've yeah, it, it's, it's like children to rebel. Yeah, fair so enough. So it could just be a phase. But... Um, yeah, so silly season. I mean, obviously we've talked a little bit about that, and, and it's, it's now exploded starting, since. starting to happen. But yeah. um, one of the one of the theories that I thought was a bit interesting was like, oh, what if Fernando Alonso sits out 2015 and come back in 2016 as a Haas F1 driver? Um, Which is what uh, Mr. Kasky was just uh, inciting a little bit. You know, was like what. It, uh, oh no, he wasn't. I'm sorry. He's he said button. Button I and maybe Alexander Rossi, and please not Danica, because there was a story of linking maybe Danica Patrick with an F1 drive. I think probably Danica is is not happening in F1 anymore. I mean, she's old enough that it isn't isn't the obvious choice. You right. know what I mean? And I personally, uh, I'm with Ron in the please not Danica mantra. It's it is not in the best interest of um, Americans retaining respect in the world of formula one in my opinion right and of course danica is is i don't know if played out is too strong of a thing but it's like oh she's amazing it's this woman in indycar and oh she won a race and everything wow and then she moves to nascar it's like oh look it's this woman she's in nascar and isn't that amazing if it's like if she goes to formula one and then she is the female driver in formula one and she's american isn't this amazing you know american fans who you know the people that we're trying to go after right that are going to say oh wow this is a new driver and she's amazing it's like isn't that the same chick that was in NASCAR a couple years ago? And then before that, she was in IndyCar. Right. It's like, and, you know, is there just the one female driver in the right. world that's American? And one of the reasons why she went to NASCAR is because she was definitely stronger on ovals than she was on road courses. Yeah. Formula One, not so much on the ovals. So, uh, you know, maybe she'll have really good runnings in Monza. No one will know why. But, right. Uh, yeah. It, uh, anyway. Uh, also, he mentioned Button and Rossi. Button is mm, too British for uh, that, I would imagine he's you know he's quintessentially an English gentleman, as it were. I mean, he's got his ties to Hawaii and stuff, and he has his marathon or his uh, triathlons there, and you know, I don't know. Yeah. There's a little bit yeah, of that. It's um, the reek, but the Alexander Rossi thing. Now, that is, in my opinion, the fingers crossed, breath held, obvious choice. I really hope that pans out. Right. Well, you say that, and I mean Rossi. Now, uh, you know, you wonder where with Bianchi. You know, I think it's safe to say not going to be in the car in just what six days' time yes. or five, I guess, for practice and all that. So, uh, if we see Alexander Rossi then in the Marussia seat um, to finish out that season, or at least for a couple of races or whatever, um, you know, that that could change the dynamic of Rossi the end of this year and how that pans out for him next year. Absolutely. Um, there's also Connor Daly who's been floating around as the other potential American. So, 2016 in some ways is a really long way away. Um, because we're just, uh, you know, at the last four races to go now for 2014, and it's already going a bit crazy um, with a combination of driver changes, and now of course with you know Bianchi out of the car for now and so on. Um, so, what happens next year? Will you know it's going to be you know who knows with Ferrari who's going to be their drivers? Are they going to turn around? You know how strong is Honda? You know there's a lot to say between now and then. So it's um, I think. Please not Danica. I think we can all we can get on that bandwagon and say we don't think it's probably going to be Danica. But in terms of who it will be. It's really pretty early to say yeah. um, who of the current drivers will still be there, and you know what what's Button's 2016 going to look like. You who heard knows? it. You heard it here first. Uh, Max Verstappen is definitely going to be driving Haas F1 2016. Um, Derek Corolla also gave us a message. He said, "So it looks like the official story is that the driver I love the most is heading to the team that I loathe the most, and the driver I loathe the most could end up getting booted out, and again, Mr. Luck may land at the team I love the most." However, let's clarify a few facts. The only person who said Seb is off to Ferrari is Horner. Seb, who, by the way, has no big mouth manager, is saying nothing. Ron Dennis says that Alonso has also has not signed a contract. So basically, the press may be may be right, or may or they may just been spoon fed a line. Here is a hypothetical: Vettel is actually off to McLaren Honda. 
Question mark. The whole thing is a rouse by Ron to put a well-deserved knife in Alonzo and to take advantage of the chaos at Ferrari and beat them down. Horner is playing along because a weak Ferrari is one less problem for Red Bull. Vettel is still negotiating with Ferrari and wherever Seb is going and perhaps... Where, Seb is going to perhaps the piece in the jigsaw could be the return of Rossa Braun. But to which team? Question mark. Okay, so I did not read that brilliantly, but I think everyone got the gist. In it's your defense, an interesting it does fact. actually say Rosa Braun. Not really, presumably that means Ross Braun, but uh, in terms of Rosa Braun, if Rosa Braun, Rasta if, Braun. If, if that's uh, if that's his wife or something, you got to say it Rasta. Yeah, Rasta Braun, man. Um, so. Uh, I don't know. The Ross Braun coming back thing has been floating around for quite a while, and every time it really seems like he says, no, I'm really not interested, which I guess is what you would say. But Yeah, but I, I'm I less tend less, to believe him. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm less convinced that Ross Braun is going to turn back up. Uh, maybe, but uh, as Derek continues, he says, probably not true, but I would not believe anything in F1 until there is official announcement and signed contracts. Well, that last bit, that's the most right. intelligent thing. Although, I mean, even the, that, signed could, contracts, you know. Well, all right, but I, I, think, I think what is definitely worth uh, applauding... Uh, Derek Krolofor is, hey, we actually don't know much, and there is a fair amount of assumption being lopped on top right. of this objective piece he of pie. He could be just going to ride this his is, bicycle. This is a very healthy dose of uh, assumption a la mode here. You know what I'm saying? So it it is far from guaranteed, and that is a fascinating point that Sebastian himself never said a word about which team he's going to. Right. But I, I don't know. And actually, I'm trying to I'm back... Um, all that long ago on Saturday, when Will Buxton talked with Sebastian Vettel, did he say anything about Ferrari? No, no, he hasn't confirmed anything. What he talked about was, you know, I want to leave the team. Um, I've, you know, I've been thinking about it for a long time, and now finally it's come together. But I think he's been, you know, choosing his words carefully. And uh, and the same thing with Alonso. I mean, uh, you know, it's it looks very likely that he's going to leave Ferrari, but has not officially announced anything. And I think, um, especially if these guys are planning something that's not the expected choice it's probably great for them to let the you know let the press and everybody speculate and think oh well it's going to be ferrari it must be this and that and if it's not ferrari he's probably thinking oh yeah it's great yeah let them think that let them go off with their right. stories and then we'll see what what comes announced in the next uh you know coming weeks or whatever but uh, as it starts to come together um then- all that said it is you know the most likely outcome is that there's more truth in here than just pure speculation and i would say the most likely thing is that vettel is in fact going to ferrari I wouldn't rule that out and say, well, that's definitely not happening because it's just speculation. That is probably still the most likely outcome of this. But it is worth having it in the back of your mind. It's like, well, we don't know. Right. That's true. It's, we don't know what's confirmed until it's actually confirmed and, and so on. Um, and then I guess uh, on the rest of the uh, Facebook page, um, we had a couple of people, uh, Sean Scanlon, James Payne, uh, Craig the Kilt, uh, some of the usual suspects posting things. And we always appreciate that. Craig. Um, of course, Craig. it's been dominated most recently by the Bianchi information. But, um, you know, Sean Scanlon raises the point, does Kafiat re- deserve the Red Bull seat? And uh, I think um, I think Red Bull, not they don't have to choose that, but if they... You know, when all of a sudden they're, tra- you know, faced with a vacancy at their lower level team. We talked about this when Ricardo was promoted. You know, oh, why wouldn't they try to hire someone else? You know, if their whole point of their driver development program is that we develop drivers and then we make them really good. If they then, when, when all of a sudden they need a driver at the top level, if they don't go from their own development program, that's kind of this vote of no confidence in their own development program. So not, not to say that they have to pick Fiat, but it's a sensible choice given the whole program and what they've been doing, um, why it's not John Eric Vern, who spent some more time in the program and has, you know, uh, already been at STR for longer. Well, um, come on, John Eric Vern's old. Well, I mean, good Lord. But I mean, I mean, he's he's almost 25. And he's not as Russian as Kafiat. And of course, Russian Grand Prix and all this is, is a thing now. So, you know, there's, I, I, don't, I don't know, I, don't, I guess I don't want to say he doesn't deserve it. Um, we'll see. As... Well, I got, now I feel obligated to say that, of course, what I just said then was sarcasm. This is quite ridiculous. And, you know, that, you know, it was like a real genuine um, split between Ricardo and Vern deserving the Red Bull seat last year. And now it's now, you know, it was already been confirmed that Vern's out. And now even further solidifying it, Kafiat's in. All that said, though, Kafiat has done quite well and he is still young. So he still has time to grow and stuff like that. And Ricardo has proved a very worthy um, lead quote-unquote, driver for the team. So I, I don't feel that Red Bull's in a bad place here. Right. I think it may actually make more sense because if they brought Vern, who's sort of at a similar you know, level in his career as Ricardo, you know, they, of course, were teammates at STR. 
um, that would almost be then back to, well, who are we going to favor? Is it going to be, um, you know, this back and forth between two drivers battling it out and, and you know, we treat uh, Vern and Ricardo equally? But now with Kafiat, they can say, okay, Ricardo is our number one guy. We're all behind Daniel. But Daniel over here, I mean, guess, you know, whatever, spelled Daniel, but spelled differently. Um, but Kafiat <laughs> is the young guy. He's, you know, going to learn. It's going to be more of a one-sided thing, but they don't mind rallying behind um, Daniel Ricardo as the, uh, you know, as the main guy there. So um, I think that may be a, a bit of a split in terms of, um, uh, you know, what uh, seniority um, or just kind of, you know, how, how much of a veteran they are in their careers to say, okay, this is our main guy. Because, of course, what has worked best for Red Bull in the, you know, with the team that they have now is getting behind one guy and just making a huge push that way. And the times when there's been the most conflict is when there's this debate over, oh, who are we going to be behind? Are we going to back one guy or team orders? And how's this all going to shake out? So I don't think Daniel Kofiat will have a problem being the second driver to Ricardo. And I have to say, I am very excited about predictions this time because I happen to have picked my split my strategy thinking Hamilton would be not on pole, but it would be Rosberg on pole and Hamilton to win the race. And I happen to be correct. I'm, <laughs> yes. very, I'm very excited about that. Yes, um, and as, as, it can, uh, as it can be heard very yes. clearly. Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> you, sir, had a very sensible prediction, only getting you one point, which is a very solid result. Well, for me, it's uh, darn near miraculous. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, since we're doing this uh, soon enough after the race, uh, we don't have all the results in to give the whole tabula, uh, table of scores and results and um, see who, uh, who predicted excellently and poorly. Um, I'm sure some people may have had Alonso for a win, which turned out uh, not so well today. Not but, so great. Um, either way, um, we'll have we'll, we'll we'll catch up on all that next week after the Russia show. Uh, but next week, next week, who has traditionally been strong at the Russian Grand Prix? Oh my goodness! Well, I mean, well, Vettel did a lap there before anyone else. It was in an Infinity Road car. It has nothing to do with Formula One at all. Yes, but you uh, you do know that Mark Webber is really hard to pass, Ooh. and Jens Button is very good in the rain. Yeah, I'm. I'm See, I'm kind of. Well, there's no doubt about There's no doubt about it, Jim. Right. There is no doubt about it. Um, yeah, I kind of. I mean, so I feel pretty good about my prediction for this week. Um, will Rosberg bounce back though and be really strong? It's a new circuit. Will something crazy happen to Hamilton? Hard to say. I don't think that the Williams or the Red Bulls are going to overtake them in this new circuit. I think the Mercedes is probably going to be strong. Well, what do we know about the circuit? How fast is it? Um, not so much, I don't think. Um, because we do know that the field tightens up quite a bit when we're talking about a lower speed track. That was not true at Monaco, but it was definitely true at Singapore. Right. Um, and I don't know what, I don't know about Russian, it's, I mean, the Russian streak circuit. There's, uh, it's, there's a lot of hard corners. Um, I've got the, the layout pulled up. Ah, uh, yes, um, we please. don't, we don't know average speeds and stuff for F1 cars yet. Cause I think we've only done some very basic show runs and stuff. But it, it looks, I mean, it's definitely sort of a, it's like a park circuit, not, not exactly streets, but uh, sort of a, a purpose-built thing. Uh, so kind of a Montreal-esque type well, of thing. Yeah, a little bit. Um, Albert Park, if you will. Um, the layout looks, I don't know, what is it, uh, 19 corners and kind of a lot of them and, and whatever. So either way, I'm going to just think, I'm actually going to go ham, full full Hamilton on this one and think it's going to be Hamilton for pole and victory. I, mean, I have to say that bums me out just a tiny little bit because... That was my plan, too. <laughs> so I think you and I are going to agree. I don't plan on changing mine. All right. Well, uh, well Damien's going to think Rosberg is going to qualify better, and uh, maybe we'll see if we can beat the spreadsheet this well, time. Well, and a little bit, it, this uh, this track is almost uh, you know, almost the exact same length as Suzuka. Actually, they claim 3.6 miles, mm. or 5.853 kilometers. So it uh, could be could be reasonably quick. And uh, that's not going to hurt Mercedes. And it's not like Mercedes was weak at Singapore. They were, of course, still on pole. It's right. just... Uh, class of the field. Yes. All right. So, yeah. That was easy. <laughs> that, that's the most anticlimactic part of the weekend, in fact. Right. It's like, ah, you know, Mercedes still be fast. Right. Well, I, you know, I, I just had to you know, hurt myself, patting myself on the back just a little bit for uh, my zero points. And I'm sure some uh, of the people went well, there as well. It's well not like deserved, it was a daring so well prediction. Deserved. Well, I mean, it was a tiny touch bit. Daring. I mean, which is, is as which is to say, not daring. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's just a prediction. Either way, um, I'm trying to give you credit. Yes, take so, it. Take it. I will do that then. Thank you. 
Uh, so, as always, please visit funwithcars.com where you can comment on our shows directly. Let us know what you think, what questions you have, what opinions you have, thoughts you want to share, and so on. Um, and we can uh, talk about that for the next show. Um, of course, you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter profiles and so on. Uh, you're always welcome to tweet along at hash FWCars on Twitter. And uh, thank you to uh, those who did so today. I saw Colin Sato and Amy Louise and some others on the uh, on the old hashtag today. So uh, that On is, the uh, old hashtag. Yeah, this, this timing was not brilliant for us to watch live starting at 2 o'clock in the morning and going till you know five something or whatever so yeah um not a not a great time to uh for us to get together and watch live and podcast uh but um we've got uh, the russian time i think is going to be closer to a european time zone so we'll see if we can uh, i don't know about doing that one live but um then... well Sochi is definitely it's you know on the european side of russia right but you yeah know. it's over by ukraine and stuff which is i think nine hours away time zone wise or seven i don't know what it was but... i think seven is better Whatever. But whatever. Um, either way, but then later on we get into the primetime races for us, um, Brazil, Circuit of the Americas. Uh, those will be exciting and uh, some more stuff we can do live. So We might watch those live. I like it. That would be fun. We should watch those early. We'll watch those an hour ahead of time. Yeah, just to see, you know, <laughs> here's what might happen. Watch last year's. I don't know, whatever. Um, either way, thank you as always for listening. Uh, and, you know, best, best uh, thoughts and shout out to uh, Jules Bianchi and his family and friends. And uh, stay tuned till next week. I am Jim Lau. And I'm Rob Warner saying head injuries happen and we can survive. So best of luck, Jules Bianchi.